Well, good morning. Let me encourage you, uh, if you would, to turn with me in your Bibles once again to the book of Acts. And we're going to be in Acts chapter 13 this morning. And as you're just turning there, uh, let me just ask, when we sang that last song, Just As I Am, what did you think about? Because uh, if you're like me, I mean, you think about the wonder of your salvation and just how, how great it is that, you know, you respond to that call of God. Chances are also somewhere in your brain, you had a little thought about Billy Graham. Uh, because that was Billy Graham's song, right? And, you know, Billy Graham would preach, he'd come and do his crusade in a town, and when he would call for a response from the people, uh, that song would play. And the people would respond. Uh, Actually, Billy came, I think, to Edmonton years and years ago, and I think I was actually there, and I remember people going forward as that song played because, you know, the gospel, when it's proclaimed, it requires a response from the hearts of the people who hear. And that's actually what we're seeing happening in our passage this morning. As we come back to the book of Acts, chapter 13, this passage, it, it, we see people responding to the gospel that is preached. And let's pick up the reading, Acts 13. I'm going to be in, in verse 42, going all the way to verse 52, the end of the chapter. Uh, if you'd like to follow along with me, it says this. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told to them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them, to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. And they began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and they drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father God, once again, as we look at your word uh, and the lives of Paul and Barnabas as they share the gospel with the people around them, Lord, I pray that you would just, two things, first, prepare our hearts to also receive the word that you would have us here this morning. And second, Lord, that we would look at this example of Paul and Barnabas and, and Lord, know that in our lives we ought to be doing the same. For the call to be witnesses to the world is still a call upon each and every life of each and every believer. And Lord, I just pray that you would be with us, that Lord, you would quiet our hearts, open our ears, uh, and through your Holy Spirit, you would guide us into the truth you would have us hear, and allow that truth to change us. Uh, allow that truth to make us and shape us uh, more and more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. 
Um, Father, we just commit these things to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me begin sort of setting the stage this morning for what we're going to talk about uh, with an old story. I heard this many years ago. I've heard it a few times. It's a story about a missionary who was living among a very primitive tribe uh, in the jungle. When one day the people of that tribe, they began to fall ill. And the missionary, who was also trained in medicine, he was a doctor, he immediately suspected and he very soon discovered that it was actually contaminated drinking water that they were drinking that was causing their sickness. And to show the natives exactly what the problem was, the, the missionary set up a table in his tent and using a microscope, he was actually able to show them the bacteria that was in the water that was affecting them. And of course, the tribe, on seeing this, they were astounded. It was, it was amazing to them. As they could see with their own eyes through the lens of the microscope exactly what was wrong with their water. And the tribal elders, they, they knew this was a very serious problem that needed a very quick solution. So later that night, when the village was quiet and everyone was asleep in bed, they went into the missionary's tent and they smashed the microscope. Because, again, they thought in their head, no microscope, that takes care of the problem. And you can kind of laugh at that story, you know, thinking those people were silly to think they could solve their problem in that way, but it does highlight something that we want to talk about this morning. Because people, I'm talking about all kinds of people from all kinds of places, from all kinds of backgrounds, it doesn't really matter who they are, people respond to the truth when it's presented to them in very different ways. And that includes the truth of the gospel. In fact, Warren Wiersbe, in his book, Window on the Parables, he says, when we hear the word of God, we're not participating in a static event, but in a dynamic experience. In hearing the word of God, it is either for the better or the worse of those who hear, but no one remains the same. You can accept God's word or you can reject God's word, but you can never ignore God's word. You cannot unhear. In other words, everyone, when they hear the good news, will respond somehow. And that's actually what we see in our passage this morning. And as we come to this passage again, uh, we're kind of picking up the story in the, in the middle of the action. Uh, this is really just, it takes place right on the heels of what we talked about last time. A uh, bit of context here. Remember, Paul and Barnabas, they're in the middle of this missionary trip that God had called them on. They're going city to city to city from town to town, just telling people about the good news of Jesus. And last week we said we, they found themselves in a place called Pisidian Antioch. Uh, that's in Asia Minor, in an area known as Galatia, uh, which means this is probably one of the churches that Paul writes the letter of Galatians to later on in his ministry. But while they're in the city, Pisidian Antioch, they go to the synagogue, and Paul is given this incredible opportunity to speak about Jesus to the people who are gathered there. And we heard last week, Paul gives this wonderful and very effective presentation of the gospel. And now we see the results of that. In fact, we see in this passage four very different and four very distinct responses that people give when this message is preached. And I want you to pay attention because chances are, and this is what makes it important, chances are 
When you share the gospel with the people in your life, they are going to respond in one of these four ways. And I've given them names. I've labeled these responses. The good, the bad, the ugly, and the best. And let's begin with the good. Uh, Acts 13, beginning in verse 42, it says this. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told to them on the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. And just as the name implies, this is a good response. This is actually an exciting response when you're sharing the gospel. And I mean, sure, the people, they weren't quite ready to, to make a life-changing decision to follow Christ. You know, we don't read here that the people were saved but they weren't closing the door on the idea either because we see in these people there's an interest there to know more in what Paul was saying. There was a curiosity in the hearts of these men and women. And they wanted to hear more about these ideas that were being shared. They wanted to know more details about this person, Jesus. They wanted to hear more about this salvation, more about this Savior, more about this whole grace thing that Paul was talking about. And there were so many people, actually, that fell into this category. We see in the next verse, verse 44, that the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Hundreds, if not thousands of people from this town show up to hear the word of the Lord. Paul and Barnabas, they, they draw this standing room only crowd. And with that in mind, I would say that both from this verse and this example here, and even from my own experience, that this is probably the most common response that you get from people when you try to share your faith with them. It's not a door in the face. It's not like a cease and desist letter. But it's also people not quite ready to say, you know what, I want to fully commit my life to Christ you know, at this time and place. But what you do find is that when you share your faith, that most people, they're willing to keep the conversation going. That's where these people are at. So what is our response when we get that reaction from people? Well, our response is to keep the conversation going. And for Paul, that means that he shows up the very next week and he, he, he talks to them all again about, you know, the good news of Jesus Christ. And, you know, after a week of, you know, thinking about what Paul shared, that one, that first Sabbath, you know, some of these people showed up, their hearts were in a different place. You know, as, as you know, Paul even says, continue in the grace of God. The grace of God, he could see, was working in the hearts of these people. God was tugging on them. He was changing them. He's, he's bringing, you know, stuff was being stirred up inside of them. That is God at work in the hearts of these people. And there's a good chance that a lot of those people after that week were, were coming with questions that they may have had about the things that they heard. And again, from my own experience, you know, I think I'll tell you a secret. The truth about Jesus is often not best shared as a monologue where you just do all the talking. You know, it's often best as a dialogue where there's give and take and you talk to them and they ask you questions and you can respond where you, you know, it's sharing the gospel. It's wonderful when you're able to leave room for people to respond and to ask questions and, and just to talk deeper about these things. 
And that doesn't mean you need to know the answers to all the questions that people might ask. Because I know one of the fears of many people I talk to when it comes to witnessing is that what if somebody asks me a question I don't have the answer to? You know what? If that happens, honestly, just admit you don't know the answer. But tell them, you know what? I'm going to go and try and find out what that answer is. We'll get back to you. You know, next time we talk, I'll have something about that. But just keep the conversation going when people are open to talking more about Jesus. Because that's really, again, that is a good response. It's an open door. But now look at the bad response. And I think this one is actually kind of easy to miss if you're not looking for it. Because we actually go back to the very same verse, verse 43, where it says, After the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. And I guess what I want us to notice here is that while many, and the word is many, many of the people were interested in hearing more, it wasn't everyone. It doesn't say all of the Jews, all of the devout converts. Because there were some people that day in that synagogue who heard Paul's message just like everyone else. But when it was over, they just went home. They had heard the truth about Jesus, but their hearts just said, no, I'm not really interested in, in that. The gospel was just something they didn't want to pursue. I actually remember hearing Charles Swindoll uh, telling a story about a breakfast he was having with a friend of his who was, you know, just a, he was a business leader in the community. And he knew Chuck was a pastor and all that stuff. And one day the man just straight out asked, he said, you know what, Chuck, tell me what this Christianity stuff you believe in is all about. And Swindoll says he was beside himself with excitement at this opportunity. And he says he had this uninterrupted opportunity to share the gospel with this man. He says he drew diagrams on napkins. He, like the, he just put it all out there. Sin, the cross, the resurrection, Jesus. And he says when he was done, the man simply looked at him and said, Chuck, in a million years, I could never believe that. And you know, it wasn't that this guy didn't understand. And it wasn't as if Swindoll left something out it's just that this person said no. And that response is probably the most heartbreaking moment for most of us when it happens. You know, especially if we're close to those people we're trying to share with, if they're family or good friends, because we often don't understand why they said no. But what's our response when people say no? Well, we love them anyways. You know what? We keep being their friends. We keep you know, trying to show them with our lives the love of God that, that God has for them. Because our relationship with people should not be, you know, dependent on whether or not they make a decision to be a Christian. And you know what? Maybe another chance will show up. Maybe circumstances will change and you'll get another opportunity to share the good news with them. But you know what? Maybe you won't. But you just keep being in their life. You keep letting your life be a testimony of faith. You keep Praying for them, that's so important. You know, praying for these people that God may soften their hearts or change their hearts. Prayer is so important. And sometimes prayer can be the difference in, in these situations. And you know what? You keep looking for other opportunities that may come to, to share your faith once again. You know, in fact, I heard a stat too long ago. I'm doing this off the top of my head, so don't quote me on nothing. But uh, 
I'm sure the stat said that the average person needs to hear the gospel presented to them in a clear way, something like 10 times before they'll sort of begin to sort of say yes. That's, I understand it now, I've got it, sir, you know. And yet even then, some people, they, they still say no. And that's, that's the bad response. And in fact, probably better to call it the sad response. But that leads us now into the third response. And that's the ugly response. Look at verse 45. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. And they began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And then skipping down to verse 50, it says, But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, and they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and they drove them out of the district. And here we see a response that it moves past a person just saying no to the gospel to a point where the person is actually sort of actively hostile to the gospel, where, where people actually get angry that you're sharing with them. And these people in this passage were downright vindictive about it. And this really was ugly. And reading that, you may wonder, like, why did these people respond like that? In fact, why would anyone, when they hear the gospel, when they hear the good news about salvation, why would some react with hostility? And you know what? There's, there's actually plenty of things that you may come across in a person's life that may cause them to respond to the gospel in, in strange or even ugly ways. Um, you know, if a person has a history of abuse, especially by someone in the church, they may be hostile to your message. You know, they may call the church, they're just a bunch of hypocrites. There's history there. And they may attack you for sharing. Some people are control freaks. So anything that smacks of, of telling them how they should live their life will cause them to push back. Like, how dare you tell me how I should live? You know, how dare you push your truth down my throat? Others may be part of another religion or even a cult where, you know, they're not allowed, you know, to free think. So, you know, your words we met with accusations, you know. And a friend of mine used to talk about what he called the holy mirror effect. Um, where you're, you know, the words of salvation actually cause that person to see a reflection of their own unrighteousness before God. You know, God's word reveals our sin, and some people don't like what they see, and they actually blame you for, for showing that to them. And I think, you know, I think there's just some people who hate Christianity. There's something built into them. I don't know. Uh, there's actually a news story I read a few years ago where a group of students in an Alabama high school just got together one lunch hour and they recited the Lord's Prayer together in the lunchroom. Of course, one parent heard about this and there was a lawsuit. And the judge in that case, I don't know, he must have been in a bad mood, but he didn't like prayer, obviously. But in his ruling in this lawsuit, he didn't just tell the kids not to do it anymore. His ruling actually said he termed, the prayer, he termed prayer religiously based harassment. And he issued a ruling that banned not just sort of the Lord's Prayer, but he banned all forms of prayer, including student-led prayers, prayers in times of national emergency or uh, such as wars or national... He banned all prayer 
from all Alabama schools everywhere. And not just that, he also went so far as to ban groups from giving out Bibles in school, and then he ordered that federal monitors were required to stalk the hallways and classrooms in search of any student or teacher who dared to pray on school grounds. And that response to me seems like overkill, uh, almost ridiculous. But you know what, just like in our passage Sometimes in some people's life, that the gospel and the thought of the gospel has ugly responses. And I'll actually add here, because if you ever have the misfortune to have a person respond to you like this when you share the gospel, you need to know that it is probably not so much what you did or what you said as it is, it's something going on in their hearts, uh, you know, that's why you see the hostility. It's, it's really about them. It's not about sort of what you were saying. And that's what we see in our passage, the stuff going on in the hearts of these people. Because we're told that the motivation for this hostility to the gospel was jealousy. In fact, Luke says they were filled with jealousy. And that's important because when the Bible says we're filled with something, it actually means that we're being controlled by it, that thing. You know, Paul says we are encouraged to be, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, that's Paul's way of saying it's a picture of letting the Holy Spirit be the guide of our life. Let, we are controlled by, by the Holy Spirit and, and spiritual things. But again, we can be controlled by other things. We can be controlled by anger, where our anger controls us. We can be controlled with fear. You know, we're, we're, we're so wrapped up in fear that it affects everything we do and say we can be filled with confusion. We can be filled, as this passage tells us, we can be filled with jealousy. And their jealousy, these Jews, their jealousy took control of their hearts and their minds. And it was all because I think Paul and Barnabas had something that these Jewish leaders wished they wanted. I actually found a great quote by Fred, Frederick Buchner this week. He put it like this. He said, envy is that consuming desire to have everybody else as unsuccessful as you are. And you know what, these Jews, I think when they looked at this crowd of people who had gathered to hear Paul and Barnabas speak, they must have thought something like, how dare these two guys show up and be so popular after only one week? Like, you know, when we have been here our whole lives and we've seen so little response because they wanted to be the ones who are important. They wanted to be the ones that people were showing up to hear. They wanted the crowds to hang on their words. And as that jealousy took control of their lives, they got to this place where they realized if they couldn't have that, they decided no one else would. So they begin to just try to tear down the ministry and the message of Paul and Barnabas. And you know, that's not even a rational reaction. And you know what? Don't expect people who are like hostile to the gospel like this, don't expect them to make sense. Because I mean, think about this. These Jews let their jealousy bring them to a place where they were openly rejecting the Messiah they had been waiting their entire lives for. And that's crazy. It makes no sense. But sometimes the gospel has ugly responses. So what as Christians is our response when we get the ugly reaction? Well, let me say here there are actually three things uh, that we can do to respond to that. 
The first thing we can do is to remember our calling and just to continue in obedience. Look at verse 46. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, it is necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first. So, you, so since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light to the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. So how did Paul and Barnabas respond? Well, they didn't sulk, they didn't pout, they didn't turn back, they didn't fight back with criticism of their own. Instead, they remembered the purpose that God had called them to and said, you know what? If you're going to reject it, we're just going to keep sharing Christ with people who are going to listen. And you know what? So should we. You know, no matter what happens, we need to hold on to that commitment to be witnesses of Jesus in the lives of the people around us. And that's the first thing we do. The second thing we can do, and the second thing that Paul and Barnabas did was, I guess, refuse to apologize for speaking the truth. Um, you know, our passage says, Paul and, Paul and Barnabas, they didn't sort of sheepishly go, oh, I'm sorry. No, it says they boldly spoke out to these people. They didn't back down. Because you know what? The truth is that the gospel when you speak the gospel, it's going to offend some people. Even if you, you know, present the gospel in love to that person, there's still parts of the gospel that, that can offend. Now, Paul even writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning of verse 22, he says, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom, to whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. So, you know, just because some people are not going to like what you're saying doesn't mean you don't say it. And that's the scandal of the cross. I mean, the scandal of the cross is that people are sinners who need a Savior. But that truth upsets people. But it doesn't mean you water that truth down to make it more palatable. You still speak it. Even in our world today, you know, where there's so much pressure to, to appear tolerant. Um, there's a story about John MacArthur, uh, who was asked to speak at a radio station that was called a Christian radio station, but then the station sent him a copy of their on-air policy. And this is what it read. The Christian radio station's on-air policy says, we want to be good neighbors to others. So please avoid criticism of other religions. Talk about conversion and missionaries, believers, unbelievers, old covenant, new covenant, the church, the cross, crucifixion, Calvary, Christ, the blood of Christ, salvation through Christ, redemption through Christ, the Son of God, Jehovah, or the Christian life. Period. <laughs> and you listen to that and you wonder what is left to even talk about? Like what could a Christian say that would even be considered appropriate to those people? Because there is such a thing as being too tolerant. And Paul and Barnabas, they refused to apologize for their message. But they boldly continued to speak the whole truth. Which leads to the final thing that Paul and Barnabas did when they received this ugly reaction. And that's, I think they reminded themselves that every man has to make their own choice. Look at verse 51, where it says, But they shook off the dust from their feet against them, and they went to Iconium. Now, Jesus once told his disciples when he sent them out that if a town they were speaking to about the kingdom of God and the people there didn't listen, 
He told them to, to wipe, the feet, wipe, wipe their feet and leave that town because the people had made a choice and they'll have to bear the consequences of those choices. And you know, the burden of the choice is not on the messenger bringing the message. It's on the people who are rejecting the message. And that's another reality we have to face if we're going to be sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with people. Because you know what? You can be the most eloquent speaker. You can give sort of the most sensitive delivery. You can present the truth in the most logical order. And that person you're talking to can still say, no, I'm not interested. And in the same way, you can stumble and fumble and mumble and trip all over your words. And God can still use that to bring a person to salvation. And the reason is because it's God who is saving these people, not you. Because we can't. We can't make someone accept the gospel. We can't break a person of their pride or convict that person's heart of their sin. We can't change that person's heart. Only God can do those things. Our job is simply to be obedient in sharing Jesus. Our job is just to speak the truth. Our job is to be witnesses. But the results are always in the hands of God. So I think that Paul and Barnabas were probably heartbroken that it came to this, you know. But they weren't going to carry around a lot of false guilt over it. Because each man has to make their own decision about how they're going to respond to the gospel. Which brings us to the last response that these people had to the gospel. And after all of the ugly, this is really the reason to keep going. The best response of all, which is salvation. Verse 48 when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And you know, what is better than someone making a choice to give their life to Jesus? You know, what's better than being a part of helping lead a person to salvation? What's better than helping someone come to a place where they accept the grace and the forgiveness and mercy that God has to offer them through Jesus Christ. And for the Gentiles of this town, this was the opportunity they were waiting for. Because you know, until now, most, many of those Gentiles, they'd been seeking for God in the synagogue. But in the synagogue, they could never amount to anything more than sort of second-class citizens in the Jewish way of life. But then along comes Paul, and he offers the people this news. That God is an unwavering, unflinching, unconditional God of love. And that the love of God would not just love the greatest, but he would love the least. That, that God would not just love those who are deserving of love, because no one's deserving of love, but he would love those undeserving of love as well. That he would love sinners. And that all that was possible, not through the law of Moses, but through the freely offered grace of Jesus Christ. And their hearts leapt at the chance of, to be part of that. And you know, I've told you this before, but you know what? Being a Christian is the greatest thing in the world. You know, in all the universe, nothing even comes close to having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We have eternal life. We, we have assurance of salvation. We have a personal relationship with God. We have hope. We have a future. The Bible tells us that in Christ we are beyond condemnation. We're delivered from the power of evil. We're members of God's kingdom. We're justified. We're adopted. We have access to God. We're members of Christ's body. We're a branch in the vine, a stone in the temple, a, a bride for the groom. We're a dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. 
And we have an imperishable inheritance that nothing can take away from us. In Christ, we truly have everything to gain. In fact, one of my favorite verses is Philippians 3, verses 7 to 9. This is Paul speaking, but he says, Whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them rubbish that I might gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that from, that from which is through faith in Christ. This righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. And that is truly the best response to the good news. So as believers, what is our response when someone accepts the gospel in their life? Well, our response is joy. Um, because our passage, you know, our passage does not close with the words something like, you know, and Paul was disappointed that he'd wasted so much time in Antioch with so little results. No, instead, even after all of this per persecution takes place, even after Paul is run out of town, the last verse reads, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. And you know, for the Christian, success means following Jesus and living in obedience to him. And you know what? Following Jesus does not lead people to a place of regret. It leads people to joy leads to satisfaction, it leads to hope, it leads to life, and it leads to the salvation of those who hear and respond to the good news that we can share with people around us. And even for Paul, you know, Paul moving forward from here, things are not going to be easy. You know, this group of, of, of angry Jews from Pisidian Antioch, they're actually going to cause Paul trouble for years to come because they not only ran him out of town, as we're about to learn in the weeks ahead, they would actually begin following Paul from place to place. Wherever Paul went, they would follow him and afterwards they would come into that town and they would distort his teaching and they would slander his name and they would try to turn that town against him. And they would whip up opposition against him. And they would actually even try to murder him. They would, they would stone him and leave him for dead at the side of the road. And do you know Paul's response to all of that? Well, he tells us in Philippians, he said, totally worth it. It was totally worth it to gain Christ. And you know, for us, despite any hardships we might face or any fears we have to overcome or any obstacles in our way, any resistance we may get from others, and despite the various responses of the people as we share the gospel with them, you gotta know it is worth it. When the truth is proclaimed and some people are saved, that is as good as it gets. And that's joy that you can take to the bank in eternity. And that's what sharing the good news is all about. And you know, I've encouraged you that in this before, but I mean, always remember that. Always remember that outside the walls of this church, there are people who are desperate to hear the good news. People who need reconciliation and restoration and renewal in their life. People who are living in fear, filled with fear, controlled by fear, feeling lost, feeling alone. People who need healing and holiness and hope that can only be found in Christ. But the only way for them to hear about it is for us to take it to them. And that's the difference you can make every day. That's, 
the difference you can make right where you live, right in your community. And it's the difference literally between heaven and hell, between life and death for the people who hear. So let's proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ to the people around us and wait for their response. Let's pray. Father God, I guess as we, as I think about the gospel, Lord, it's just a heavy conviction on my heart to realize that before you, each and every one of us were dead in our sins and our trespasses. That we were separated from you for all eternity and there was nothing within us that could change anything about that. But you, while we were still sinners, sent Christ to the cross to die for us, to restore that relationship, to bring forgiveness that we could not find in our own self. And Lord, there was nothing about us or in us that deserved that. It was grace. And Lord, it is through grace and grace alone that Lord, we have now have life and life abundant in Jesus Christ. That we, as Christians, we know firsthand we have tasted the goodness of God and we rejoice in our salvation. And Lord, just in celebrating that this morning, 